Theology is garbage, which is tough to say as someone who does so much of it, and also maybe a bad way to start an introduction to head spirituality, the spiritual type that is fed by the pursuit of the knowledge of God, by Bible studies and footnoted sermons and big thick books of theology. Also maybe a bad idea in a congregation with multiple people with advanced degrees in theology, including me. And to be clear, when I first took this spiritual inventory 20 years ago, I expected to be a head type. I like words and ideas. I love to learn. I just did a children's time about paleontology. I apologize. And it was my second highest category when I took the test, but I basically still mean it. Theology is garbage. The attempt to explain God to others always leads to absurdity. And for me, there is no better example than the Trinity, or not the Trinity itself, but like theology about the Trinity. Attempts to spell out the details of how this thing works, like that Athanasian creed that I just made us all sit through. Apologies if you fell asleep. Apologies if you didn't fall asleep. That was only like an excerpt. Nothing in this trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. What does any of that mean? I looked up a definition of the word co-equal. It means equal to each other, which is also the definition of the word equal. Also, co-eternal means equally eternal. In other words, one is not more eternal than the other, which is the definition of the word eternal. All things that are eternal are like the most eternal you can be, which is eternal. It's nonsense, words invented to give the appearance of saying something. And, and the parts that aren't nonsense are even more confusing and hard to back up. How do you know that none of the three persons came before or after the others? How do you measure whether any is greater or smaller? And worst of all, where do you get the certainty to say who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity? It's definitely not from the Bible. The, Word Trinity is never, ever used. Also, I looked it up. Neither are co-equal or co-eternal. I chose this scripture because it's one of the only verses in the entire Bible to even mention all three persons. And it's probably a later statement of the church, not something Jesus really said, some, something people came up with as they tried to theologize about it as they try to put words to their experience to explain the mystery. And to be fair to those early theologians, to all theologians, Jesus does leave them with a mystery or with many mysteries. He says he's going to send his spirit to them, but what does that mean? Like, is it, is it Jesus's spirit? Is it God's spirit? Or is that the same thing? Is it, is it a part of him, or is it a separate person? And while we're at it, what's Jesus's relationship to God? Is he Emmanuel, like we say at Advent, God with us? Or is he God's child? Is he human or divine or a little of both or all of both? And what would that mean? 
There are so many mysteries, and he doesn't bother clearing any of them up at all. So, of course, people want to solve them. People want to understand. I want to understand, to nail it down. Who can blame them for doing theology? And, and shouldn't they want to know about God and about the nature of life and their own place in it? Shouldn't they want to learn all that they can to work it out with everything that they have? So they put their minds to the task. They parse each word of scripture. They write down everything Jesus ever said and then some things that he didn't. They search for fitting analogies. They dream up complex schemes. And yes, it's all garbage, the end product. But the process, the search for the truth, the urge to solve that mystery, or, or at least to know it more deeply, that impulse, I think, is holy. Theology as a noun may be absurd, but theology as a verb is sacred work. So if I weren't a minister, I would probably be like a geneticist or an evolutionary biologist. From the first time I did a Punnett square in sophomore chemistry, I was fascinated by the process of heredity and natural selection, how those green pea plants kept making green pea plants and the yellow pea plants sometimes made yellow pea plants and sometimes green. And even more the way that tiny changes in those pea plants over billions of years could make anything at all how those tiny changes have made everything, the tree of life branching off in millions and millions of directions, how everything had come from one thing and how that one thing still lives in everything. So the semester after we learned about Gregor Mendel and his peas, I asked my teacher if he would sponsor me for an independent study and he agreed. I needed to learn as much as I could about it all. So my first step was to go to half price books and see what was available in the science section. <laughs> and what, they, what was available turned out to be The Selfish Gene by someone called Richard Dawkins, who I didn't know at all. And it set me on fire. Dawkins explained how all of life could be understood as our genes struggle to reproduce themselves. How even complex human behaviors, marriage and friendship and self-sacrifice were ultimately strategies by our genes to maximize their chance of living on into the next generation. It changed the whole way I saw the world. It raised huge questions for me about the nature of life. What does it mean to be human if we're also at some level this colony of cells trying to replicate its DNA? And what does it say for free will that all of our decisions or most of our decisions can be predicted by what's best for our genes? What does it mean for our ethics that our behaviors, the ones we think of as noble and the ones we think of as not noble can be understood as dictated by ourselves? The book opened up so many mysteries for me and I tore through it and wrote it up for my teacher. But when he gave it back, he seemed concerned, not with the paper, but with the book that I'd chosen. 
I could sense he had some objection to Dawkins, though I didn't understand what it was. And he didn't really say. He just gave me another book to read next and suggested maybe it would be a kind of corrective. In hindsight, it was kind of like intelligent design light. It never used that word or even like referenced God, I don't think, but it was a science book that was trying to make the case that you couldn't explain everything through natural selection. In hindsight, my teacher must have known Dawkins' reputation as an atheist and been concerned about the conclusions I might be drawing. He wanted to give me some other possible conclusions to draw. And years later, I had to unlearn some of the things I learned in that second book because they turned out to not be good science, just theology, the attempt to get people to come to the right conclusions about God. But God wasn't in the conclusions for me of, of that book or the Dawkins. That was just evolutionary biology, good or bad. The conclusions are always just chemistry or, or math or geography or music or Spanish or history or whatever, they're all worth knowing on their own. But the urge to know, the fire that it lights in us, the, things, the thing that sends us to the bookshelves, the thing that makes us tear through chapter after chapter, the questions that it raises in us, the mysteries it makes us grapple with, the way it can change, how we see everything over and over again, that's where God is. That razor edge of inquiry and curiosity before we fall over into judgment, before we draw any conclusions. The answers we arrive at about God only ever half point to them at best. But the path we travel to get to those answers, if we walk it honestly and passionately, that's where we're closest to the divine, at least for people who are at all into that type one spirituality. If we reason with everything that we've been given, trying to understand what it all means and why it all is and what it might ask of us, then we are thinking along with the mind of God, whether we solve even a single mystery. The philosopher Simone Weil, this is how you know it's a type one sermon because it references the philosopher Simone Weil wrote about it this way. If we concentrate our attention on trying to solve a problem of geometry, and if at the end of an hour we are no nearer to doing so than at the beginning, we have nevertheless been making progress each minute of that hour in another more mysterious dimension. Without our knowing or feeling it, this apparently barren effort has brought more light into the soul. Vey says that that practice of attention will pay off later in our prayers, but I would go further. I think that attention itself is prayer. Study is prayer, not just when we study God specifically, but anytime we look deeply into the world around us, anytime we follow our fascination into the mysteries of life, we're drawing close to God and closer to the ones God made us to be. That's my conclusion about God, which makes it theology and thus garbage, like every sermon, except 
except for Rebecca's, Virginia's, any sermons you might preach, not garbage. My sermon's garbage. When I sat where you are before I became a minister and listened to sermons from my pastors, my favorite ones were the ones where some idea grabbed me midway through and I spent the rest of the time while my minister droned on just following that line of reasoning wherever it might take me. And I once complimented one of my pastor's sermons that way, telling him that I had stopped listening halfway through and how good it was, you know, to just like wander off into my own thoughts. And he looked at me with the same face of polite restraint, holding back irritation that I will give you if you ever give me that compliment. I work hard to keep your attention, to try to get you to follow me to my conclusion. But if some Sunday you don't make it all the way there, if by some inspiration of the Holy Spirit or God or Jesus or all three co-equally, if at some point you find yourself tuning me out and following the line of your own reasoning, seeking the truth with all that you have, watching the mysteries multiply around you, if you find yourself lost in fascination and wonder and asking what all of this is and what any of it is for, please don't call yourself back to whatever nonsense I'm saying. You are, right then, dwelling in the presence of God. <laughs>